I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and I am back for my ever so brief vacation. It certainly wasn't the same this year. Things are just, uh, yeah, weird. And uh, joining me today on the show is my co-host Charlie. And now that just about all of the preseason magazines for the 2020 season are out, it is time to analyze and discuss whether we are buying or selling what they have to say about this year's version of the Georgia Bulldogs. This is something that we have fun with each and every offseason. At least, I guess for the last three offseasons we've done this. And we're excited to get to it again. I think this is the first time Charlie has been with us for the show. Is that right? Yeah, I put a lot of work into this one, or I think I did. So we'll see how you it turns out. You put work out. into something? Well, I mean... Actually, that's all it? you. That's one of the reasons we have you on the show, is that I know I can count on you to actually put some work into things. So oh. I, I'm sure you worked hard on it. We'll see how it turns out. Well, I did my best. No, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're excited to have Charlie on the show. At least I'm excited to have Charlie on this show. But first, Charlie, before we get there, I've got to ask you about... And this might actually violate some like HIPAA. This might be like a HIPAA violation thing. I don't know. But I got to ask you about your kind of like mini coronavirus scare. And first, I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of the coronavirus. A lot of people are getting sick and are dying out there from, from this illness. And that's terrible. We don't want anyone to die. But you've got a kind of, I don't know, I, think, I thought it was kind of funny story. I know I'm sure it was very scary in the moment. But I thought it was kind of funny. I thought our audience might like to hear kind of, what went down was about a week or two ago. I've gotten bits and pieces of this over text. I haven't actually even gotten the full story. So I'm curious to hear. I know this was about like what two weeks ago. You were supposed to be actually heading on, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were heading out on your own vacation like two weeks ago, right? And Yes, we got halfway there and then I realized that I probably shouldn't go because I have family members with health conditions like heart conditions and older people that we were staying with and would be around and I had been getting headaches and I had a scratchy throat and I don't ever get headaches. I thought it was allergies but to be on the safe side we were on the way halfway there turned around tried to get a test. Okay I'm gonna gonna have to interrupt you there real quick so you drove were you feeling bad before you got in the car? I mean not real like I didn't have, I guess I had a headache that day. So the symptoms that you were experiencing that made you think you might have coronavirus you were already experiencing before you got in the car? Um, I don't remember. I okay. just didn't. I just didn't. I wanted to err on the side of caution, and I did not want to endanger anyone that I might be around. So I was trying to be responsible. You couldn't find any drive-through testing, like on the side of the road somewhere. No, no, that's how it works. Not how that works. So I got a test the next day, and it was supposed to be at like three o three or something like that, because you have to take what pops up. So I go, sit in line, get there, 15 minutes before Where did I'm you supposed go? to. Clark Middle. Clark Middle School in Athens. Okay, gotcha. Yes. 
So obviously you have been Got sense. there. It said to get there ten minutes early, so I got there fifteen minutes early, and I knew it was not going to be good because the parking lot was already full. Because so it's a bureaucracy, full, and that's how those things work. So full that they told me to go sit in the parking lot across the street. The Kroger and, parking lot. Yes, okay. until they waved me over. Which I then went over there like three other times because they were not paying attention. And I don't blame them. They were sitting in the hot sun. It was miserable. So finally get into the parking lot like, I don't know, 30 minutes maybe later than my appointment was supposed to be. Got, wait, got into the parking lot? Yes. And how long was this line? All the way around the bus loop. Okay. And was it moving at a... No. no obviously you're waiting half an hour no. to even get in line so it's not moving. It was, it was forever. So then we made it like halfway around my husband went to get tested too because obviously we live together and so we got halfway around the bus loop in like two hours i guess and then the nurses started coming around saying that the rapid testing machines and computers were down oh my god but that we could stay in line for the test and they would send it off, and we would get our results in like two to five days or something So the nurses like are going that. car to car? To... Yes. So when was... you saw the nurses start coming out of what, I guess they were in a tent, right? Because well, I've driven by this place. Yeah. And, and so they're coming around. What did you think when you saw them coming around? You're like, well, oh my God, kill yeah, me I now. I know it wasn't good, and then people started making U-turns out of there very quickly. Oh my God. So I decided to leave, and then tried to get a test for the next day. Couldn't get a test How for did the you next not day. lose your mind sitting I there? Mean, doing... what a, I mean, I didn't have I anything else to do. I would have lost my mind. I mean, what that else? Is, am that I is be the, doing? yeah, that's kind of where we all are. At this so, try to point get a test for the next day. Couldn't get a test for the next day anywhere. I tried like three different places. One place still, Were you I don't think, ever called me to set up an appointment to get a test. And Were they all rapid response? Or are you? E, no, I don't even know. I was just trying <laughs> just to a get test? a test. Okay. I was just trying to get a test. And couldn't get a test for the next day. So, the next morning. I had to like scramble trying to figure out how to get a test for the following day mm -hmm. and I'm not good with my phone or computers and I couldn't figure out how to get it so I had to get my husband to sign it up and he find he got it so I was went the next morning and it, my appointment was at like 10 or something much quicker I was only there for an hour much quicker and it wasn't the swab where they push it all the way back. Oh, oh that's good because that makes me sick. Actually, I have been like horrified of the idea that I might have to get this test at some point. And they go like yeah. into your brain, so they didn't yeah. do that. No, it was like a flu swab. She said, which I've never had. I mean, it wasn't the most pleasant thing, but I mean, I was still recoiling in my car, like trying to get away from her. But and you've it, been in the hospital every day since. What? And you've been in the hospital every day since. I've been like, in the no, hospital. No. Yes, totally. Um, yeah, so it wasn't that bad, but my tests were negative, so. All good. Just miss vacation. That sucks. But I'm glad you're alive. Like, that would be terrible. Oh, well, that's I mean, one less co-host. I mean, we can't always count on Curtis. You know that. We love him. But, you know, be he's nice got things going on. You got to have somebody here to, to help us. Oh, we're always nice to Curtis. But anyway, all right. So glad you're alive. Sorry that you had to go through that. That's certainly not exciting. But, uh, all right. I'm going to go ahead and turn this over to you. We're playing a little buy or sell today. Looking at all these preseason magazines, these publications. And I know you put a lot of work into digging through them. And you got some different things from your day, so take it away. All right. When I was putting this list of topics together, I decided we needed to start with a question about the Florida hype. Ugh. Florida hype. Let's go. Every year, the sports media has to hype somebody as a challenger to Georgia in the East, as we all know. 
It was South Carolina going into 2018. Yeah, how'd that work out? Last year it was Florida, and then the media how'd has anointed out? the Gators again this offseason, and I know that you have a lot to say about that. So nope. I figured this is where we should start. I looked through three preseason magazines for all these topics, including Athlon, Lindy's, and Pick 6 Preview, and all three of them have the Gators ranked ahead of Georgia in their publications. Pick 6 Preview even has Florida <laughs> winning the East... And playing in the college football playoff. Oh, my God. If, if there's any oh football my God. to be played. <laughs> so, Tyler, buy yourself Florida being ranked ahead of Georgia in all of the preseason magazines. Oh, yeah. I mean, every single one. Every single one. That, yeah. Single and, and, and we didn't use Phil Steele's magazine. I know a lot of people like that because his, actually, I think is just being shipped now. Like, they're not, they haven't been out. So, we haven't been able to see those. These are the three that we've had access to. And, nor, and like, they all do, like, they, they all have things they do well and things that you're like, why does this even matter? But I personally like Pick Six Preview. I think I mentioned that on the show. I think they do a really good job. I, I was I, I did see that they had Florida pick to win the SEC as the as the entire league and go to the college playoff. I thought that was just I almost my, my head almost exploded when I saw that. So yeah, and you're right. Every single magazine has Florida ranked ahead of us. And like, did that surprise you? Like when you saw that, were you like, wow, that's weird, or is that kind of just, eh, that's what the media does? I mean. I, they just want controversy. Yeah, they do. That, I mean, that's, that's what sells. sells magazines. Yeah, there's no doubt. So, like, I don't even know how seriously I should take. Like, I, I really, I've told you guys before, I don't, I try not to get up in arms about all these preseason things. I really don't. Like, the Dan Mullen thing really gets me going because it's not just a one preseason thing. It's this narrative that's been going on for years and years and years, and it's based on the flimsiest of evidence, if, if any evidence whatsoever. But like, I try not to get too up in arms about this stuff because you're right, Charlie. They have to sell things and they have to create conversation. And I, and I get that. I get that to a degree. And it's fun. This is what college football is about. It's about debate, all that kind of stuff. So like, I'm not like upset about it, but I also don't agree with it. I don't, I don't think it's accurate. And I, I think when you look at, okay, why are all of these publications in their preseason magazines, why are they ranking Florida ahead of Georgia? Because I, I try, like I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. I, I try to think that they're not just trying to be sensational, right? Like, do they actually have some basis to back this up on? And I, I think what you're seeing, and kind of just reading between the lines when they talk about Georgia and Florida, there's three areas that I, I think they're kind of pointing to as justification for having Florida ahead of us. I think number one is the schedule. Number two is the fact that Florida has a returning quarterback. I guess they can kind of throw in offensive continuity along with that since they had Dan Mullen as their play caller returning with a returning quarterback. That continuity there is strong. I get that. And then, again, it's that the third thing is just they have like just been sold a bill of goods. The media has been brainwashed into thinking that Dan Mullen is a better coach than Kirby Smart despite there being no evidence whatsoever to support that, that belief. So I think it's those three things. Schedule, returning quarterback, continuity, and just their – irrational belief in Dan Mullen that kind of fuels this notion. Now, for, for two straight years, you're right, this is the second straight year that Florida has been the media golden child that's supposed to unseat Georgia in the SEC East. And I just don't really agree with any of their, I guess, justification for having Florida ahead of us. And I'm going to take this bit by bit. So I, I mentioned schedule, returning quarterback, and Dan Mullen. So I'll take it bit by bit. I know I know Charlie's like shaking your head here, like, oh my God, here we go. This guy's going to go on for 20 minutes. It's a long bulleted list. I, I have a few notes here. I have yep. a few notes here. All right. So anyway, let's start with the schedule. All right. I think if you look at the schedule, I get where they're coming from to a degree when you talk about Florida's schedule versus Georgia's schedule. I do think Florida has a more manageable schedule with fewer landmines than what we potentially have. 
But say like the fact is like so like if you look at it, we have at Alabama cross divisional, and they have at Ole Miss. Obviously, Alabama is going to be better than Ole Miss. We all know that. I think Ole Miss has a chance to be a decent team, but Alabama is going to be better than Ole Miss. Now LSU does have our Florida does have LSU at home. We have Auburn at home. I think LSU and Auburn might actually be pretty comparable this year. I might give LSU a slight edge over Auburn, but those two games are pretty pretty close. But then, but again, the big difference is Alabama. Ole Miss, right? But regardless of that, even if we lose to Alabama, let's just say that happens. And we've talked about this before in the show. The fact is the East is still likely going to come down to who is the better team on the field in Jacksonville or wherever that game is played. I guess I saw today that it looks like they're still going to try to keep it in Jacksonville with no tailgating. And I, don't, I honestly don't understand the purpose of keeping it there. I know it's because you have a contract with Jacksonville. You don't want to break that because there might be some financial implications associated with that. But like, why would anyone go to that game if you can't actually... I mean, it makes no sense, but whatever. Uh, but I just... I, I honestly... It it doesn't... like To me, this whole idea of their schedule is easier, therefore they have a better chance to win the ACC. I just don't buy it because I don't think that even if we lose to Alabama, I don't think that we are going to slip up anywhere else. I don't think any other team on our schedule, unless we play the absolute worst game that we could possibly play... like And it happened last year. We saw that with South Carolina. So I'm not saying it's impossible... But it's unlikely that we're going to slip up anywhere else, in my opinion, because I think we're just that much better than everyone else on our schedule. I, I truly believe that outside of Alabama, which I still think we can actually win that game. It'd be a tough game, but I think we can win it. But even if we lose to Alabama, as long as we beat Florida, and even if that's the only game Florida loses, and it might be their only loss, their schedule is pretty light. But even if that's their only loss, and our only loss to Alabama, that will give us a tiebreaker over Florida. So when they mention schedule, I'm not saying they're wrong in asserting that Florida's schedule is easier than ours. It, it probably it is. It is. But honestly, I just don't think that really matters as long as we beat Florida in Jacksonville. Because our schedule is not so difficult that we're going to lose two or three games in the SEC. I, I think we lose one game. Uh, to, if we lose Alabama, like we just talked that up, we talked that up to Alabama, I don't see us having a South Carolina moment this year. And as long as we beat Florida in Jacksonville, which I feel very confident that we're going to do because I think we are the better team, then I think once again, we're going to win the East. And you're going to have even more members of the media eating crow for the third straight season. But they, they don't actually eat crow. They just kind of have convenient amnesia when it comes to that, when we actually prove their picks to be wrong. So schedule, I think I don't think that argument really holds much water. That takes us to the returning, this idea they have a returning quarterback and some offensive continuity. And this is where, I, and I mentioned this before, Kyle Trask, in my opinion, if all the Florida fans want to point to Kyle Trask as the reason why they're going to be better than Georgia, they are pointing to fool's gold. Because as I mentioned before, I think Kyle Trask is Jake Fromm in blue. You've said that before. Why? Yeah, a couple of reasons. I mean, statistically, they're remarkably similar. If you look at Jake Fromm, like Fromm's numbers in 2018, I know everyone right now is like, we're all kind of uh, shell-shocked by what we saw from Jake Fromm the second half of 2019. But if you look at what Jake Fromm was before that, in 2017, 2018, he was, as a true freshman in 2017, his numbers were like almost exactly the same as Kyle Trask's numbers. Trask last year was 67% completion percentage, 8.3 yards per attempt, 25 touchdowns to 7 interceptions. If you look at Jake Fromm as a true freshman in 2017, completed 62% of his passes for 9 yards in attempt, 24 touchdowns to 7 picks. So a little lower completion percentage as a freshman, more yards per attempt, 
almost identical touchdown to interception ratio between Fromm and Trask. If you look at Fromm as a freshman, Trask last year as a first-time starter. If you go to 2018, which was Jake Fromm's best year as a starter, he completed 67% of his passes, again, nine yards in the tent, 30 touchdowns to only six interceptions. So Fromm's numbers in 18 were actually slightly better than what we saw from Kyle Trask last year. So if you look at it statistically, yeah, they are remarkably similar. But it's, it doesn't stop there. Just watch the guys play. They are, they are Honestly, they're, they're both players who, while good, solid players that you can absolutely win games with, because we won a lot of games with Jake Fromm. They won a lot of games last year with Kyle Trask. But they, in a lot of ways, are dependent upon the a talent around them. We saw that with Jake Fromm last year. You guys know I was a huge Jake Fromm guy. I thought he did a lot of really good things for us. But when the talent wasn't there from a skill position perspective, at least out wide at receiver, we saw that he was a different guy. Now, when you have Riley Ridley and J.J. Holloman and Isaac Nod and all those guys, Jake looked a lot, and Terry Godwin, throw him in there, Jake looked different, right? He looked a lot better. His numbers were a lot better. He didn't have, what, like six straight games almost, or five, five out of six games, something like that, under 50% completion percentage. It's just, it was a matter of just having the skill town around him. He didn't have that all of last year, especially once Lawrence Cager went down. George Pickens was great, but he was still very young and wasn't ready from the get-go to be that consistent go-to kind of guy. So I think Fromm struggled with that. And I think Trass is a very similar guy there. They're both guys that they're just, they're not dynamic quarterbacks. They're good, solid guys, high football IQs, understand what defenses are trying to do, all those things, make good decisions with the football but the fact is they're limited physically. They don't have great athleticism. We saw that with Fromm over and over. And if you go watch Kyle Trask, guys, he moves a lot like Jake Fromm. A little bit bigger version of Jake Fromm, but in so many areas, from, from his stats to his physical makeup, he's extraordinarily similar to Jake Fromm, in my opinion. So I always find it kind of hilarious how the Florida fans were killing Jake Fromm, saying how terrible he was. But yet Kyle Trask, who I think is remarkably similar, he is their savior. He is the reason that they're going to overtake us in the East. I just find that to be comical. So I don't know. It, to me, I just don't believe, and I look, if you look at it this year, like who, let's not talk about Jay Fromm. Jay Fromm is gone. Let's take it to this year, right? With Kyle Trask, a good, solid quarterback, not dynamic, but a good, solid quarterback, I just don't think they're going to have the better quarterback when we line up and play in Jacksonville. Uh, and I also don't think they're going to have the most talented offense between the two teams. I think we're going to have a more talented overall offense. I think we're going to have the better quarterback. So when you see all these people in the media talk about, well, Florida has Kyle Trask returning, I mean, that means they definitely should have a leg up over Georgia. Why? Just because Jamie Newman was playing at Wake Forest last year and not at Georgia means Jamie Newman is not as good as Kyle Trask? Come on. Like, I don't buy that whatsoever. Um, And I don't think our offense is, is really necessarily as far away from being really good as last year would make it seem. Last year was bad. We all know that. But I don't think that we're as far away from being a really good offense as we might think just based off being shell-shocked from last year. And, and Florida, you know, I don't know if they're I – I actually do not think they will be as good offensively. And go back to our offense. You know, last year, obviously, we had limitations at quarterback from a physical standpoint, from a physical makeup standpoint. We had issues at wide receiver for most of the year, especially with injuries. And obviously, we had a schematic problem with James Coley calling plays. But the thing is, all of those things are infinitely fixable going into 2020. And I just don't think we have as far as – Far, as far to go as some might think on the service. Let's not forget, guys, LSU, let's not forget the jump that they made. And I'm not sitting here saying that Todd Munkin is going to be Joe Brady. But, hey, man, actually, if you look at it, Todd Munkin has a much better long-term track record than Joe Brady had. doesn't mean he's as good as Joe Brady, but I don't think there's a huge gap there. I mean, LSU went from averaging 5.5 yards per play in 2018 
to a, a, a I think it was a, the tops in the country, 7.89 yards per play in 2019. So I'm not saying we're going to make that big of a jump because that's a dramatic jump, but I don't see any reason why we can't make a sizable jump of our own this year. When you think about, I think we fixed some of the limitations at quarterback. We fixed the issue as far as I'm concerned at wide receiver. Schematically, I'm very excited to see what Todd Long is going to bring to the table. I think our offense is going to take a massive jump this year and actually end up being better than what Florida's is, Florida is going to put out there, even though Florida might have a little bit more cohesion coming back from that 2019 team. And let's not fail to mention this too, real quick before I get before we go on to the next question. As bad as our offense was last year, and yes, it was very bad, let's not forget that we still found a way to beat Florida even with that offense. And as I said a second ago, I just don't think Florida is going to be as good this year. They lose their best playmakers at the skill positions. They still have a garbage offensive line. They lack dynamic play at the quarterback position. And if you look at it from a player-by-player standpoint, if you look at pro football focus and their rankings, of the uh, top 50 returning offensive players in the SEC, Georgia has nine of them, while Florida only has one. Huh. I don't think I've ever heard anyone in the mainstream sports media mention that number because they don't understand. They don't really, I, I, I'm convinced that a lot of these people don't actually watch many games. They, they might watch two or three games uh, a weekend and that's it. I don't think they really watch these teams that closely. I mean, we have the talent. We have, have the talent as evidenced by pro football focus grades there. We just have to put them in a better position to be successful, and we have to find a little bit more dynamic quarterback play, which I think we're going to find. So if our offense just makes modest improvements, which I think we are going to, and Florida isn't as good as they were last year on offense, why does anyone expect them to beat us this year? I, I just, I honestly, I don't see it at all. To me, it's a lot like the arguments about South Carolina going into the 2018 season. I didn't see that in any way, shape, or form. I hear all these people. I think Peter Burns from SEC Network was, was leading that charge. South Carolina's going to upset Georgia in week two. And, and then everyone jumped on that bandwagon. And I'm sitting here saying, like, based on what? What in the world makes you think that is going to happen? And we all saw how that turned out. And I think it might shape up to be something very similar when we play Florida in 2020. And that brings us to the final reason why I think a lot of these publications are putting Florida ahead of us, and that's Dan Mullen. And we've talked, I don't want to spend too much time on this, because I've almost did an entire show on why Kirby Smart is actually better than Dan Mullen. You guys know I find this to be absolutely laughable. It's just really not even close. Uh, I'm not even going to start with Dan Mullen versus Kirby Smart. I don't think that Dan Mullen will even be the best offensive play caller in this matchup. I think Todd Munkin is a better offensive mind than Dan Mullen. I mean, if you look at Todd Munkin's offenses at, at Oklahoma State, they were both top five nationally uh, when he was the, uh, the, the play caller at Oklahoma State. Put up 549.8 yards one year. So basically 550 yards in year one and 547 yards in year two as their play caller. And then as the head coach and play caller at Southern Miss in 2015, they ended up number 12 nationally at 510 yards that season. Guys, Mullen has had one offense average over 500 yards in his entire career calling plays, and that was with uh, Dak Prescott in 2014. And that was still 30 yards less that year, 30 yards less a game than Munkin's offenses with freaking Brandon Whedon as his quarterback. I, I mean, the only season a Mullen coached offense has finished inside the top 10 in 15 years of calling plays, and he was at Florida for six of those. I know it's popular to say, well, yeah, you know, well, he was at Mississippi State. He didn't, have a, he didn't really have a lot of talent, but he's really developing. That's the big word that Florida fans and all the media members like throw out there. He develops talent, right? Well, guys, he was at Florida for a little less than half of those 15 years calling plays. He was there for six years now. If you throw in uh, his past two seasons at Florida as their head coach. And Kirby, 
uh, has finished in thir- in nine of the 13 years that he has called defenses. In nine of those years, he's finished with a top 10 defense. Eight of those years, he had defense inside the top five. Five of those years, he had defense in the top three. And two times, he had the number one defense in the country. And oh yeah, as I mentioned before on this show, Dan Mullen has never beaten Kirby Smart head-to-head in any capacity when they were going against each other as play callers or head coaches. Against every other coach not named Kirby Smart in his career in calling plays, Dan Mullen has averaged 432 yards a game. His offenses have averaged 432 yards a game. Against Kirby Smart's defenses, he's only averaging 275 yards a game. He's only gone over 300 yards uh, in a game twice in 12 matchups against Kirby Smart. So this notion... Again, that Dan Mullen is a superior coach to Kirby Smart, and that's used to justify why these media members have Florida ahead of us. It's ludicrous. It's flat-out ludicrous. It's a figment of their imagination. It's not based on anything whatsoever. So there you go. I tried my best to lay out why I think it's just crazy that all, not just one of them, but you said all of them, right? Every single one of them has Florida ranked ahead of us. And And you're right. I think it's just about trying to sell magazines and stir up some controversy, but... When you come down to like how accurate is that going to be? I just I'm not seeing it. It's not seeing it. Thank you for that thesis. We we Let's appreciate go. that. Let's go. I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, so looking through the publications, it was interesting to notice that there were very few Bulldogs named on the All-American lists. It was laughable, actually. In fact, in the Pick 6 preview... It didn't even have a single Georgia Bulldog on their first All-American team. Are you buying or selling that? You know, I want to I want to sell that, but if you think about it like how many like who are the stars on this team right now? The guys that you could think okay, that guy could be a first team All-American. To me, Richard LeCount is the guy that's the first one that comes to mind. And I, and like we got to think about what gets you on these lists, right? Like what makes you a preseason All-American? And a lot of it has to do with name, right? I think Richard LeCount has that. He like he was on he's been on he's been a starter on a, a top five level team for two straight seasons, has performed really well, has gotten better, well, really each and every game. And I think people know his name. He's a guy who could have gone pro, probably was the right decision for him to come back. So I'm surprised that he didn't make that list. He'd be the first one that comes to mind for me. He's a guy that I think in a little over a thousand career snaps at safety, he only he's only given up one play of thirty yards or more according to Pro Football Focus. To me, that's that. I mean, that is insanity. Now, and Curtis is always, and, and I have been too. Uh, we've been on him about his tackling ability, but I think he's really, really improved in that regard as well. He's a smaller guy. He's one of those guys in high school that would just kind of lay a shoulder in someone and like lay them out because he played at a lower level in, in his high school classification. And he kind of, I think he kind of came in and tried to bring that mentality and that and that those lack of fundamentals to the college level. It didn't work out so well right away, but I think he's really started to uh, to improve there. And I think that's somewhere he still needs to improve. But the fact is, the guy has been really, really good for us. And I think he could should certainly at least be in the conversation when you're talking about a first team All American. But like uh, Charlie, like who else would be? Well, I mean, we have some really good players. Maybe not right now, but do you think George Pickens could find himself on the first All-American team list at the end of the season? 
Pick, yeah, pick. Well, I don't know. Like that's. I think I love George Pickens, and I think the guy is gonna be a, a monster. And I think you know, maybe if he has like a Justin Blackman type season, you know, the, the old receiver from Oklahoma State when Todd Munkin was there, kind of like fifteen hundred yard seasons. Yeah, he could be. But I mean, there's a lot of really high level receivers in the country that he would have to jump over. You got Tylen Wallace, speaking of Oklahoma State. Uh, you got Jamar Chase, of course, uh, who uh, I think won the Blitnikoff last year at LSU. He came back. You've got uh, you got a couple guys. Well, I mean, I would say Justin Ross at Clemson. He's not playing this year, but you've got the guys at Alabama. You got Smith and Waddle. So I don't know. And you got hey coming back. Uh, you got Rondell Moore coming back this year. I know no one really talks about him much, but he's a guy that as a freshman at Purdue two years ago was freaking electric and was out hurt most of last year. He should be coming back this year. So he would have to be above all of those guys who play. And we don't, don't exactly know what our offense will look like this year. I, I certainly believe that we're going to throw the ball more, but we just we haven't seen that yet. And all those offenses I mentioned, they put the ball up a lot, in the air a lot more than we have traditionally, and they just had more opportunities to put up numbers. So if, if Pickens can put if he's given the opportunity to put up those kind of numbers, then yeah, he could be in that conversation. I just, I just think there's a lot of really talented receivers that are going to put up huge numbers uh, around the country. Maybe too many for him to get into that conversation this year. All right. Well, here in Athens, we like to think of Georgia as RBU, but Lindy's doesn't see it that way in 2020 since they don't even have Georgia in the top 10 of their running back unit rankings. While Athlon and Pick 6 both have Zamir White, James Cook, and company coming in at number 4 in their respective rankings. So this isn't exactly a buy or sell question, but who has it right? And is Georgia's running back room a top 5 unit, or is it outside of the top 10? Interesting question. So, huh. I definitely don't think we're outside the top 10. So I'm, I'm going to have to go. I, I'm not saying we have the best running back room in the country, but I think we're far closer to being top five than outside the top 10. I mean, losing DeAndre Swift certainly hurts. We don't, I would say, I get what they're saying to a degree. If you have us outside the top 10 and that we don't have any proven options, that's fair. I think that's a fair argument, but I think we have plenty of talent waiting in the wings, ready to just explode onto the scene. I, I, you guys know, I think Zamir White was not, I think he was a shell of himself last year, a shell of what he used to be. And I think he got more comfortable as the year went on. I, I liked what I saw from him in the Sugar Bowl late in the season. I think he's going to be closer to what he once was, now two years removed from the two ACL injuries. So I'm very excited to see what Zamir White can, can do and what he can be in this offense. But I'm also very excited and very curious about James Cook. Because I think, honestly, if you look at what Todd Munkin has done traditionally, and now coming from the NFL where the running backs in the passing game have become such a critical part of offenses, I think James Cook might potentially actually be a better fit for what Todd Munkin wants to do offensively. And I can't say that with... 100% certainty and confidence because, again, I don't exactly know what offense we're going to be running. I have ideas based on what he's done in the past, but we don't know what you know what he's spent time on trying to build with with the personnel that he has to work with here in, at Georgia. I think we're going to throw the ball more, and I do think James Cook is going to see a lot more action than he ever has. But if you look at what Todd Bung has done historically as a coach, I think, honestly, I really do. I think James Cook's a better fit for his offense especially with his skills out of the backfield as a receiver, than what Zamir White is, what he would be. But I think both guys are going to see a lot of time. I'm also really high on Kendall Milton as well, coming out of California as a true freshman. I think Kenny McIntosh is a guy that can really do some things if given the opportunity. So I think we have a number of guys. I don't think we're a top one or two or even maybe three running back room. I think we're we're pushing top five. I mean, Clemson's got a good room when you when you look at how top heavy they are with, with Travis Etienne at the top there. North Carolina, I know no one would think about this, but they, are, they actually have two 1,100-yard guys returning this year at the running back position. 
Now, Alabama, uh, I think they have a, a really dangerous, a nasty running back room if they're all healthy. Obviously, you have Najee Harris come out for his senior season. He's a really, really good player. You've got Trey Sanders, who was hurt last year. He's a guy that we all desperately wanted in, uh, in his recruiting cycle a couple years ago. He ended up going to Alabama, spreading us at the last second. So Harris and Sanders, actually, both those guys were the number one running back in the country when they came out of high school. Uh, Jason McClellan, the guy they got coming in this year, he's a top 50 guy. They got Brian Robinson back, who was the number two back last year. Keela Robinson's another four-star guy. Alabama has a really, really strong running back group. I would actually put their running back room probably ahead of ours right now based on what we know. Uh, I know Harris is probably the only guy that's really a proven commodity there, but that's more than you can say for, all, for our running back room right now. So, yeah, I would have us somewhere maybe just outside that top three, certainly inside the top ten. All right. Well, as I was looking through the position rankings in the Athlon magazine, I was shocked to see Georgia sitting at number two in their national defensive line rankings. So buy or sell, the dogs having the second best defensive line in America. Yeah, this just seems weird to me because for so long, one of the issues that I've had with our defenses in general is that we just weren't dynamic up front. We were good, solid, good enough, fine, dandy, whatever word you want to use there on the defensive line, but we were not dynamic. We were not elite. And I think Kirby Smart, as he's done with a number of different positions on this team, especially if you look at what he did with the receiver in this last recruiting class, he noticed that deficiency and he attacked it. And I think he has flipped that defensive line unit completely. If you look at some of the guys that we have up front, I mean, you're talking about Jordan Davis, who has got to be the best nose guard in the entire SEC. And he plays, he'll play the zero, play the one. He can actually sign up, play a little bit of three technique at times, depending on the front that we're running and depending on the situation. I think Jordan Davis, if, if he comes in in shape, which is always, you never know, he's battled weight issues, especially when you talk about him being off campus for so many months with the coronavirus pandemic issue going on, now he's back on campus. If he can keep that weight down, I think he could be a monster this year. I love what I saw from Devontae Wyatt last year. I think he was our best interior pass rusher last year. He's back again. Julian Rochester comes back after a late <laughs> late in his career red shirt. And Julian's never been a superstar. He's kind of one of those guys I would throw in there. It's just been a kind of a solid piece. But a guy who's, at this point, he's got to be, I think, 48 years old. It's an, if you look at the guys, like I'm pretty sure he's got a mortgage and about four different kids. So he's been around the block. Uh, he, he's a veteran. He's a guy that's going to be a, a good piece for us on that line. Then you got exciting young guys like uh, Trayvon Walker. Malik Herring's not a young guy. He's a veteran. But Malik Herring was as good as a five-tech defensive end as there was last year in the entire league. And he is back. I think he was actually our highest-rated defensive player last year, according to Pro Football Focus. And, and who knows what we might get from Jalen Carter, who's a five-star defensive tackle coming out of Florida this year. I am extraordinarily high on Jalen Carter. I don't know where he fits into the defensive line this year, but he's a guy that can certainly add some very quality depth as a true freshman, kind of like what Trayvon Walker did last year. So this is a very different kind of defensive line than what we have become accustomed to the past 10 years or so here at Georgia. But number two in the country, I don't know. I think we're in the conversation. I'm going to... Mm, The thing is, we don't put up the sack numbers. Uh, We we just don't put up the huge sack numbers, but I think that's more schematic than anything. We've talked about that before. I I keep saying I do a show, an X is a no show based on that idea, and I am going to do that. We just have to get to that later in the offseason. But, yeah, look, I I would probably have Clemson ahead of us, Xavier Thomas, who hasn't really lived up to the five-star billing yet, but he's been really good. He has that potential. Tyler Davis is a guy in the interior for them. I think he's really good. They also got Brian Breesey in last year's class, who's a number one player in a number of the different services. Miles Murphy was another five-star guy. I mean, they got three five-stars in their defensive line right now at, at Clemson. It's just crazy how they turn out defensive linemen there. So I would probably have them ahead of us. Miami's also a team that I know they had trouble offensively last year, 
they got some dudes coming back, especially at the pass rushing position in their 4-3 defense. Gregory, Gregory Rousseau had 15 and a half sacks for them last year. They got a transfer in from Temple named Quincy Roche, who had 13 sacks last year. Jalen Phillips, who was, an, I think, if I remember correctly, former number one overall player in the country in, in the 247 composite a couple years back, went to UCLA. He's transferring to Miami now. So like their pass rushing potential is off the freaking charts. They're maybe not at quite as strong in the interior, but from a pass rush perspective, they're going to be crazy good, just flat out nasty. So maybe Miami will be ahead of us in that regard. But I think we're certainly in that conversation in the top three or four nationals. I guess I'll sell it for now with the potential that when it's all said and done, if our guys continue to grow up, we could certainly, depending on what we get from a guy like Jalen Carter and Trayvon Walker, who, who's certainly going to take on a, a more of a prominent role this year, we could have a, a top two defensive line. I'm just not ready to say that yet. All right. Staying with the position rankings, I guess I should not have been surprised, but I didn't expect Athlon to have Georgia's quarterback room as their top unit in the SEC. Buy or sell, Jamie Newton, excuse me, not Newton, Newman, and JT Daniels is heading up the best quarterback room in the SEC. That's a really interesting ranking. I don't think... Do you think any any other fan base in the SEC would say, yeah, Georgia has the best quarterback room in the SEC? No. Like even even like let's say a Vanderbilt fan who does who's no. like doesn't care. No. So you're saying you don't think that we have the best quarterback room? I mean, if you look at it carefully, you might. But when you think Georgia, you don't think great quarterback play lately. I mean. Wow, hate on Jay Fromm much? No, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm not, like, eh. Especially after last year, I get yeah. it. Yeah. It, it, it's good, as, and I think Fromm Recent is... Recent memory would right, say, sure. no. And I think Fromm um, was undervalued by a lot in our fan base, but he was never a dynamic quarterback. I, I can certainly... I'm man enough to admit that. Uh, yeah, like, we didn't have a Tua Tonga by lower or uh, a Joe Burrow, obviously. And I don't think we're going to have that this year, but I... If you look around the SEC, honestly, what team is in a better position at the... In their with their quarterback room, I mean, you could say potentially Alabama, depending on what they get out of Mac Jones this year. I, I when I did this the Alabama scout and the enemy episode, if you haven't checked that out, it's still looking. Go listen to that. Put a lot of work into that. I want to think we got a good little preview for uh, for you guys for the, for the Alabama game, which might actually end up being our first game of the year. We'll see how that plays out. But I, I'm high on Mac Jones. I think he's he's obviously not too tough my low, but I think he's a good player. I think he's better than Kyle Trask. And then Bryce Young is the wild card for the, the number one quarterback in the country coming out of high school this year. And he might be the guy for them to open up the year. I don't know. I think not having spring practice certainly hurts him. So Alabama, you can depending on what Mac Jones ends up being, you could make an argument maybe with Bryce Young. But just the fact is you just haven't seen anything from Bryce Young yet. I'm trying to rack my brain. Like who? I'm trying to think here. Okay, who else would even come close? you got Kellamond at A&M, but I'm certainly not sold. I mean, he's no better than Jamie Newman. And the rest of their room, no. Auburn, I mean, Auburn fans would be screaming, Bo Nix, Bo Nix, Bo Nix. But Bo Nix, I mean, solid freshman year. We're going to do the Auburn Scout and the Enemy episode next week. But I, I, I'm not sold on Bo Nix as a, as a game-changing type guy at this point in his career yet. So, yeah, you know what? What the heck? Let's go ahead and buy this. I'm going to buy it. I think when you throw in the fact that what does it for me is not only that we have Jamie Newman, which I, who I do think is going to be an upgrade over Jake Fromm this year for a number of different reasons, his legs, his arm, his ability to hit, to hit the deep ball with a high degree of accuracy, all those things. But you also throw in JT Daniels now, that he has his eligibility. You have two guys that have full starting season under their belt. JT Daniels is a guy, he's a true freshman. His numbers weren't like overwhelming, but you saw the flashes. If you actually watch the guy play, go watch the tape and don't just get the numbers. You see what why people are excited about JT Daniels. This guy... He can be really, really good. But it's not just those guys either. I mean, those guys are the top right there. But you throw in the guys behind him, 
Dewan Mathis, if he's healthy, if he gets clear, like I've, I've liked the, the small sample size I've seen from him. I love his athleticism. I, I think Carson Beck has a chance to be really good as well. I don't know if he'll ever start for us, but I mean, I like the options even behind the top two guys there. So you know what? Yeah, with the depth, with uh, the strength of the top there, with Newman and, and JT Daniels, yeah, let's go with it. I'm going to buy that. All right. Well, one unique thing that Lindy's does is not only do they have unit rankings, but they also do a top 25 player ranking for each position group. And lo and behold, our very own George Pickens has been ranked the number 10 wide receiver in America by Lindy's. So Tyler, buy or sell that George Pickens is a top 10 wide receiver in the country. Top 10, top 10, top 10. You know what? I'm going to buy top 10. If you said top five, I don't know if I'd be ready to buy that yet. Top 10, yeah, I, I can go there based on what we've seen at this point. And also kind of projecting forward what I think we're going to see with Todd Munkin as a play caller and our ability and his desire to want to push the ball down the field. And I think obviously having a guy like Jamie Newman with his uh, produ- productivity and throwing the ball vertically down the field, I think that's going to really help George as well, put up some bigger numbers. Because that's what, that's what it comes down to receivers. It comes down to numbers. Uh, but if, if you look at George, talk about numbers, he, and I mentioned this before in the show, but in case you missed it, he had the second lowest drop rate, according to Pro Football Focus, in the SEC since 2016 last year. Last year, I mean, I think it was Hayden Hurst. Yeah, it was Hayden Hurst, a tight end from South Carolina, who, who's posted the lowest drop rate, rate since 2016. But Pickens is right there with number two, at number two right behind him. There's been some really good receivers in the SEC since that, since that time frame the past couple of years. And so we've, we've seen the spectacular catches, but it's not just that. He makes the routine plays as well. And we also saw what he can be with his head on straight with essentially a full year under his belt against Baylor in the Sugar Bowl. I think that was a preview of the things to come this year for George Pickens. He was all alone in that game, guys. There was no Lawrence Cager. It was George Pickens and George Pickens only. Like it was for most of the year, especially once Cager went down with injury. But, he, but early in the year, Piggins still wasn't able to put up those kind of numbers. The guy grew up, he worked, and he got better. And we saw that in that sugar bowl against a good Baylor defense. I mean, I know people say, well, it's just Baylor. No, that Baylor defense was legitimately a good top 20 caliber defense last year. And he put up a huge effort against them in the sugar bowl. And I think he's going to have a better quarterback to work with this year, along with a better offense coordinator. So you throw all of that into the mix there. Yeah, I think it's safe to say I'm going to buy George Piggins as a top 10 wide receiver in 2020. All right, so if he's a top 10 wide receiver, tell us again why we struggled so much on offense last year, especially at that position. Yeah, I think it's – I kind of alluded to that a second ago. It's it's a function of a couple things. Play calling was nightmarishly bad at times. Uh, just and not even just play calling. I, actually, I think that Coley did a better job actually calling plays in the game than actually designing a scheme. The scheme was the problem. It was a, it was a disaster from start to finish. And then you've got the fact that Lawrence Cager went down, so it's all put on George when he was really young and wasn't necessarily quite ready for that. He had to grow up a little bit. He had to polish his game a little bit. Yeah, he had the natural ability. We saw that from the get-go. But it was the little things he had to work on. And I think he got better as the year went on. And also the fact that we just, you know, Jake, again, is not as, he was did a lot of really good things for us. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for what he did throughout his career. But the fact was he just wasn't a dynamic guy. And, uh, and the fact that... He couldn't push the ball down the field vertically as well as maybe a guy like Jamie Newman could, or at least with as much accuracy. And he didn't put stress on defenses with his legs, which opens up room for the passing game more so than what we had with a, a very stationary quarterback in Jake Fromm. I think all those things are going to combine for George Pickens to have a better year and reasons why maybe we weren't uh, as proficient offensively last year and why he didn't put up as big a numbers as he could. But the, the dude still put over 700 yards up last year as a true freshman. 
And that, we've only had one guy go over 1,000 yards in the history of Georgia football. One guy in Terrence Edwards. And he wasn't that far off of that. So if you think about it, he actually had a really good freshman year. He, now, there were games where he kind of disappeared. I think he had like one catch in the Auburn game. But he also had some really big games for us, like that game against Baylor in the Sugar Bowl. And I think that's going to be more of what we see this year. I think he's going to be more ready. I think we have a better quarterback. And I think we're going to have a better offense coordinator. All right. So looking at Lindy's position rankings again, but at linebacker, we have Monty Rice was ranked just inside the top 15 at number 13, which is fine. But I was surprised to see Auburn's K.J. Britt and especially surprised to see Tennessee's Henry Toa Toa. Toa close. Toa Toa. Toa Toa. Ranked well ahead of him at 7 and 8 respectively. So are you buying or selling Britt and Toa Toa as better inside linebackers than Monty Rice? I think K.J. Britt and Monty Rice, because I've been breaking down Auburn for our next guy in the enemy episode coming at you next week. I think K.J. Britt and Monty Rice are extraordinarily similar players. I think they both excel between the tackles, and I think they both are – they have improved tremendously running side on the sideline. Monty showed me some things last year with his speed that I had not seen from him prior to that time in his career. I hadn't seen that from him as a freshman, as a sophomore. I saw it last year. I mean, there was a couple of plays in the Sugar Bowl in particular where I'm like, dude, Monty, where did that come from? And K.J. Britt's a similar guy, in my opinion. K.J. Britt, like Monty, like Monty is not, he doesn't excel in coverage. He's a, he's a first, he's a standard down linebacker. First and second down linebacker. When he's third long, Monty comes out of the game. Because that's just not where he excels. I mean, he's not a good player. He's a really good linebacker. He's just not a third down kind of linebacker right now. And K.J. Britt is the same thing. He's a standard down guy. He's good between the tackles. I think Monty is a little bit better than Britt. I think he's a more sure tackler. I think he's a little bit more instinctive. I don't think he misses his run fits quite as often as Britt does. And Britt doesn't miss his run fits a ton, but just more than Monty. I think Monty was just a very fundamentally sound player or just a very high football IQ on the defensive side of the ball. It's kind of the, the leader of that defense there. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not – I wouldn't be ups, like, like freaking out over the idea that K.J. Britt was a little bit ahead of Monty. I don't think he's – what, you said he was six spots ahead of Monty? No, that's not right. Like they're, they're, if, if K.J. Britt was number seven, then Monty shouldn't be anywhere – Eight or nine. Like he's not six, seven spots behind KJ Britt. No way. And Toe Toe, that's comical. I mean, look, Toe Toe at Tennessee could potentially have a higher ceiling. He's a better athlete than Britt or Rice uh, are at this point in their career. And then he's just a better athlete in general. But to have him ahead of Monty Rice right now, that's just flat out silly. Like that's the best word I can do. Like that's just flat out silliness. Like, I, I mean, that's just, that's them looking at Toe Toe's ranking coming out of high school and say, oh yeah, he was highly ranked. So, uh, yeah, and you know he did, he played as a freshman, so let's let's go ahead and put him ahead of Monty Rice because we just know his name, we've heard his name. Like, no, there's no way right now they can say Henry Toto is better than Monty freaking Rice. That's just flat out crazy. Well, I'm gonna do it for the listener and call you a homer because I felt like you've answered almost every one of these in Georgia's favor. Not everyone. Right? Is it almost everyone? I think I said the defensive line is probably not a top two okay. unit. Well, we'll move on. No, no, okay. Well, well, yeah, I'm not going to apologize for thinking that we're going to be really good this year. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm, you guys know I'm. If I've, we play this year. It, well, let's not even go there. We'll, we've got plenty of time to talk about that, but you're right. If we play this year. But I think we have potentially the best team in America. So, yeah, I know I'm buying a lot of these things, and, that it might, and we do run on Georgia podcasts, so a lot of people might be thinking, well, he's just a homer. Like, we shouldn't take this seriously. I try to be as intellectually honest as I possibly can. Each and every time we do a show, and I just I happen to believe that we're gonna be really good. So that's all where right. it comes from. And that's why you're a they hater. Are. You're a that's hater. That's why your listeners listen. All hater. right. 
So another feature that Athlon does every year is that they rank the off-season coordinator and assistant coach hires. They actually had Todd Munkin as the second best coordinator or assistant coach hire of this past offseason. So are you buying or selling that? Who do they have ahead of him? Uh, Joe Moorhead. Joe Moorhead, formerly of Penn State, Up formerly of Oregon, Oregon now, but right? he, was, he was head coach at Michigan, uh, yeah. or, uh, Mississippi State. Now up at Oregon, then that, that was a really good hire for Oregon. Like that for Mario Cristobal, that's a great hire for them. And I have a lot of respect for Joe Moorhead. I'm not saying he's like a bad coordinator. He's he's a really good offensive mind. He has to have the right, right kind of quarterback. But I think he has it up there in, in Oregon right now. Um, buy or sell second best coordinator hire in the country. I'm gonna sell it because I think it was the best coordinator hire oh, in the country. Okay. Let's go. There we go. You want a homer? I'll go full homer. No, I'm, I, you can call me a homer if you want. I. I'll back this up. Like, look, here's why I say Todd Mung was a better hire than Joe Moorhead. Number one, the stakes are higher for Georgia in 2020 than they are for Oregon. Let's just be freaking real right now. Oregon is good. They are good. I'm not trash on Oregon. I think Oregon is really good. I love their color scheme. If, it, if we got any other color scheme in, in the world, I would go with Oregon's color scheme. I, love, I would pick ours first, but that's number two for me. Oregon's great. Good for them. But Oregon is not a – they're not at a national championship contention level yet. I think Chris Ball is going to get them there. When we played them to open the season in Mercedes-Benz in 2022, that's going to be a flat out, just knock them out. I mean, that's going to be a slugfest, dude. That's going to be an inc- I'm already, I'm, I'm actually maybe more concerned about that game than Clemson next year at this point. Like that's going to be a heck of a game in a couple of seasons. Uh, but they're not there quite yet. They are getting there. They're not there quite yet. And, and here's why I say the stakes are higher for us. I think we're there yet. I think if we, or I think that we are there, not there yet. I think we're there, and if we just make modest strides offensively, not only can we win the SEC East, as I mentioned in the comparison with Florida earlier, if we just make modest strides on offense, I think we can win the whole dang thing. I think we can win the national championship this year. So for that reason, I would take Tom Munkin because I think it was just more important for us to get him this year than it was for Oregon to get Moorhead this year. I just, even with Joe Moorhead as good as he is, I don't think that Oregon is going to win the national title this year. And I also would say this, as I think Moorhead is a good coordinator. It's a really good hire for them. But if you look at what he did at Penn State, where, which is where he kind of made his name and got the head coaching job at, at Mississippi State, his offenses at Penn State were good. They were good, but they weren't elite. They averaged number 34 overall nationally. And he hasn't sniffed a top, having a top 10 offense yet in his career as a play caller, let alone a top 5 offense that Todd Munkin has done two times in his career. He's had three offenses go over 500 yards in the college uh, as the play caller at the college level before moving on to the NFL where he put up the highest pass, the, the best passing offense in the league with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston in Tampa Bay. So I, I actually think that Munkin has a... I don't think I know that Todd Munkin has a much better track record overall if you look at his career than what Joe Moorhead has. I just think the fact that... The, the reason they have Moorhead ahead of Munkin is kind of Munkin, as, since he was in the NFL... And wasn't a coordinator last year. I think he was kind of out of sight, out of mind. And so they're not paying as much attention to him. But I think Munkin is a better hire. I think the stakes are higher. I think he has a better track record. And I think we're going to have a better year than Oregon. So yeah, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it because I think he's number one. Okay. Well, let's go. Got it. Got it. Let's go. All right. So the guys at Athlon like to put out a top 100 player ranking. And maybe it's just me, but I was surprised that George's first appearance in that ranking came with Jamie Newman in at number 43, which also means that they think Newman is the best player on our team. 
Hmm. Now, I don't think it's realistic. Like, what are you comparing them on? Hmm. They all play different they positions. Play different so positions. I disagree with that they're ranking them that, that is, one to a hundred. Yeah. But I guess what they're saying is like, it's all relative. How much? How good are you at your position and what you do? Right, but that's totally different. You just you can't do that. But anyways, okay, we'll go fair, with fair. It. I, I hear you. So buy or sell. Jamie Newton is the best player on the twenty twenty. Who is this Jamie Newton you keep talking about? I said Newman. No, you didn't. Newman. Play, listeners, play like, that. Hello, back. Newman. Oh, okay. You had to See, go I got there. It. You had to go there. Okay. Seinfeld. <laughs> well, I've never heard that one before. I mean, it's a great show if you're. For, is it running, a great show? If you're running is out of things show? to watch, to do or watch during quarantine, it's a good one. Yeah, it's a good show. If you like Larry Davis talking, which I happen yeah. to enjoy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. So, Jamie Newman as the best player on the 2020 team. You're right. That is tough to rank when you're talking about different positions. But, you know what? Quarterback is the most prominent position. So, I think by just the very nature of that position, people who make these kind of lists kind of defer to quarterbacks over other positions. Uh... It, is, it is like the Jesus position, right? But I, I don't know. Jamie Newman is the best player on the team. I think Jamie Newman is going to be really, really good. But best player on the team? like what? Well, and I have another question for you. Is that number right for Jamie 40, Newman? Is he the 43rd best player in the country? Yeah. Who did you say? What, what magazine was this? Athlon. Okay, I'm going to dig. Like, all right, dig through there and find that. Here's the Athlon magazine. Dig through there and find them. I'm going to see who they had ahead of him. While I, so you find that. Try to, please, while I try to bloviate here for a minute. So... Best player on the team. Okay, let's think about it. Who could be in contention for best player on the team? George Pick- like George Pickens is probably better at what he does than Jamie Newman at this point. Like, if, if George Pickens is what we saw in the Sugar Bowl, if that's, if that's what he is this year, then he's a better player than Jamie Newman. Jamie Newman's really good. I don't know if he has the high, as high of a ceiling long-term as what George Pickens could have. Richard LeCount would be in that conversation. Monty Rice. Uh, Monty Rice, I mean, think about what he does at his position – Nolan Smith is a guy. Like, I know he didn't. He wasn't a star last year, but like his ceiling, what he could be once he gets closer to that ceiling and he gets a little older, like he's gonna. I think he could be a long-term better player than Jamie Newman. But like I, I guess we're talking about who is the better, best player right now. Jordan Davis can be in that conversation. And I stand corrected. I messed up. It's not the top 100. It's the top 50. Top 50. Okay. But still, he's so. Do we have anybody else in the top 50? I don't think so. Look after. That's fine. So forty-three. Let's go. Look at the uh, anyone else. Where's your account in there? Yep. There's the count forty-five. So we had two players in the top fifty. Yes. Off a team, I think can win the national title. And I and I on some level I get that. Like who are the superstars? It's a team sport. It is a team sport. And I, that that is that that's the thing. I don't think we have major deficiencies right now. But I think Pickens. Like come on. Like I think if they re-rank these at the end of the year, I think George Pickens is inside the top fifty. I think Richard account stays in the top fifty. Jamie Newman. I think he's probably in the top fifty. I think a guy like Jordan Davis, people actually, but people, people who make these lists don't understand what even the line football is actually about, what these guys do. I think Aziz Ojolari could be in the top 50. Nolan Smith potentially could be in the top 50. Eric Stokes could potentially be in the top 50. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if a guy like Nicobe Dean or Quay Walker, whoever wins that, that, that second starting inside linebacker job, like that, that guy could be in the top 50. Could Tyson Campbell potentially be in the top fifty? Jamari Salyer? I mean, we have like we have just so much talent. Like, the idea that we only have two players in the preseason top fifty on Athlon—that's that's a flat out an absurdity. That that almost makes the ma- entire magazine lose credibility to me. That's crazy to me. Uh, but buyers, okay. Back to the original question: Jamie Newman, best player? What would you say? Is Jamie Newman the best player on the team? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I haven't really seen him play that much. 
I'm gonna go. I'm gonna sell it. I'm gonna sell it. I don't think. I think he's really good. I don't think. I think Pickens is the best player on the team right now. I'm gonna go. He Pickens. was a breakout player in Athlon's magazine. Pickens. Yeah. Yeah. I I would have Pickens number one right now. Yeah. Let's go with that. Okay. Well, finally, last qu- last buy or sell. We might like to call ourselves RBU, but LSU is one of about 143 teams that like to call themselves DBU. And as such, Athlon had LSU's secondary ranked ahead of ours. So buy or sell, LSU's secondary will be superior to UGA's in 2020. Okay, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm still I'm, I'm on this top 50 player thing. Like some of these guys, they have a head like of, of all of our guys. Like, are you kidding me? Do you have what? trouble moving on? I just I can't like. What in the world, Spencer Rattler? Spencer Rattler? What? He's taking like four snaps at Oklahoma in his career. And he's number 22? What are we doing? This is all based on what their name is and what they were ranked coming out of high school. Oh, my God. Jeez. Sam Ellinger, top 10 player in the country? No way. Top 10 player. Mm-mm-mm. This is crazy. Ian Book, number 24. What world are we living in? I know we're living in an alternate universe in this coronavirus pandemic, but are you are you kidding me? This is this is flat out crazy. All right. All right. Anyway, so sorry. Back, go go back ahead. To sorry. DBU. DBU. So will is, LSU secondary be superior to UGA's in twenty twenty? Ooh. Ooh. I gave you these questions before. You already. Know I know. Your I know. I know. I just I get excited when I think think about this again. Surprisingly, I don't, actually, I don't a, know my not answer. A, not a detailed list of bullet um, points. Yeah, this is the last question, so I kind of forgot about it. So oh, okay. No, LSU, no. I'm going to sell it. LSU is not going to have a better secondary than Georgia this year. I know that sounds crazy because they have been really good traditionally. Um, and Derek Stingley, like he, let's be real, he's the reason why they're ranked that high. He is really, really good. But the hype would have you believe that he's the best cornerback of like the last 25 years. And I don't know if I'm ready to go that far with Derek Stingley yet. Really, really good player. Elite cornerback. I don't know if he's the best player ever. Uh, and actually, if you go back and watch the second half of the SEC title game when George Pickens got back from the suspension in the first half, he had more than his fair share of success against Stingley in that second half. Uh, J- Jacoby Stevens is another really good player who I wanted a couple years ago. I thought we were going to get him uh, in recruiting, but he ended up going to LSU. I think he could become a star at safety this year. He was kind of in the shadow of Grant Delp. I think he's going to be really good for them. So they have two guys right there that are really good in their secondary. But after that, I mean, Cordell Flott is a freshman last year, played pretty well at corner in some spot duty. Kyrie Vincent, I think, is, is a liability for them in the secondary. I think he has been for a while. And if you look at our team, our secondary, J.R. Reed was certainly a very big piece uh, of that defense last year. But outside of him, man, like we, we literally returned every other contributor. We're talking Richard LeCount, obviously, Eric Stokes, who had, who's had the seventh highest forced incompletion percentage since 2018. The guy's been an elite cornerback for us. We got D.J. Daniel, who played really well for us last year in relief of Tyson Campbell. Tyson Campbell should be back healthy. I'm really excited to see what he can be. We've got Tyreek Stevenson coming back as a sophomore. We've got Mark Webb. We've got Devon Wilson. Keely Ringo coming in as a top five player in the country. Lewis Seen taking over for JRE. I think if you look at the depth, we might not have one guy who is as good as Stingley right now, but I think we have more depth throughout the entire secondary. So for that reason, I'm going to say, yeah, I think we're actually going to end up being better than secondary, at least for this one year, than LSU, which I know sounds weird because LSU, that's kind of what they do. But I think this year we, we might actually – be a little better than them. But uh, all right, guys, that does it for today. Charlie, I really appreciate you taking the time to go through all those magazines and, and put this help put the show together. So thank you for that. We will be back next week, guys. Kurt should be back next week. 
And Charlie will be back in a couple of weeks to help us out with our July mailbag. So we've got a lot of great stuff coming for you guys in the next couple of weeks leading into the month of August. Hopefully, obviously, we're, at some point we're going to hear something about the 2020 season. And we will have you guys covered on that front as well. So thanks for listening, guys. We really appreciate it. And for Charlie, I'm Tyler. As always, go dogs.